And now it's time for Dave's Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. But he understands its place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. So come along and take a listen to Dave's thoughts about the Walt Disney World Resorts and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, I know it's a little unusual to have my next podcast so close to my previous one. I tend to put them out there maybe every 10 days or so. And this one is kind of close to my last one, having only been out there for a few days. But I felt the need to kind of continue on the thought, considering some of the things that are going on on at the Walt Disney World Resort. Also, this podcast you may find to be slightly more negative. And I don't mean it to be bashing Disney or to be negative. I want to make it constructive in its criticism uh, of some of the things that I'm seeing. So please take it in that spirit. Now, before I get into the meat of it, a word from our sponsor... The best kept Disney World and Universal Studios vacation secret. Did you know that anyone can rent a sweet ride and truly get around fast with your pass inside the theme parks? Mom, tell them. Well, Scooter Vacations makes it fun all day long. You or someone you love deserves the best way to see everything. So why not relax and enjoy a true express ride with your pass? Scooter Vacations can arrange it and even deliver it to you. Get around the fun way, have as much fun getting from ride to ride as being on the ride. They fit on buses, boats, and monorails, and some can fit in a car trunk. Upgrade your experience and scoot everywhere. Contact Scooter Vacations at 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. That's 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. Or on the web at scootorlando.com. That's S-C-O-O-T Orlando.com. S-C-O-O-T, Orlando.com. Okay, so let me, let me uh, break down for you what's going on. I've heard a lot recently about changes that are going on at Walt Disney World and things that are happening, and some of them are really positive. I really like some of the, some of the ideas and concepts. As you know, over the years, over the last couple of years that I've been doing this podcast, there have been some things that have come up that I kind of scratch my head about. And one of those was Avatar Land. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the movie Avatar. Yeah, the visuals were really interesting, and you know it had a, a certain wow factor, and it, James Cameron certainly got the word out and made it exciting. You know, ever since he did Titanic, everyone's like, "Ooh, James Cameron! He does remarkable things." And yeah, it got out there and it did really well. And it is visual eye candy, and it's really terrific that way. But the storyline lacked, and I thought it kind of fell flat, and I didn't really—I couldn't even make it through the whole movie, uh, honestly. And I'm kind of looking at it, and I'm going, "I understand why Disney is getting involved in this because it's a multi." billion dollar industry certainly and they sold more blu-ray dvds on the first day than any other film had ever done now keep in mind that blu-rays have only been on the market for a relatively short time so it's sort of a limited lifespan that they have and more people are buying films these days so you know kind of take that for what it's worth but the reality is that it's very successful and i understand why disney wanted to get into this business now there are two more movies that are due out and whether they're successful or not is really uh, anybody's guess now, I did read a couple of reviews recently that look back five years into the past at when Avatar came out. And 
they, uh, you know, they don't reflect so fondly on the movie itself. Yeah, there was a lot of hype, and the movie is still really good, and it was technologically innovative. But as you look at it with today's eyes, watch it through the lens of today, you kind of go, yeah, okay, you know, technology has gotten to a point where everybody's doing this. 3D isn't so new. It's not so interesting in that sense anymore. And when you sit there and look at the storyline, it's maybe a little weak. So Disney has the potential for a hugely, wildly popular, successful thing, or potentially to not have something that's so successful. So that's kind of what got me down this path was thinking about Avatar Land and uh, Disney's agreement to get into that business. Now, as I look around, I'm seeing other things that are happening. Now, in my last podcast, I talked about the fact that Disney had never announced what their plans were for Disney Springs. They were doing all this construction, but they never gave you a story of what Disney Springs was. And I played a one or two minute clip of an Imagineer talking about what Disney Springs is. And then I put a little clip at the end that said poppycock at the end. And I don't know if you caught that, but the whole point was it just felt like it was kind of forced and contrived, and it didn't really fit with the theme of Disney. Why change all of what downtown Disney was? Okay, you wanted to get rid of Pleasure Island. That's okay. I, you know, I get that. It's, you know, it's something that I really enjoyed when I, when I used to live there. But you're getting rid of it, and you're changing it to something else. And, and that's okay. I, you know, that's not an issue. The issue is coming up with something that doesn't feel like a retail establishment that feels like something that's just all merchandised. You know, you're widening the roads, you're creating parking garages. You want people to come there as a destination because the goal is, obviously on Disney's part, to not have people leave Disney property. So Universal Studios has an area that's a boardwalk where you can go around and see all these different things, shopping, dining, little events, street merchants, different things that are exciting, and people go there, and they like to go there, and it's kind of fun. Disney's directly competing with that. Also, you hear about uh, like Church Street Station in Orlando and some other places that are around that people go to. Disney wants to keep you on property. They have the Magical Express that picks you up at the airport. You come to the Disney property, and, well, you can get around Disney property just fine, and you have to hire a taxi to leave Disney property. So why not give more options and shopping and dining and things for people to do when they're not in the theme parks? Makes perfectly good sense, but it just feels like it's kind of forced because they're changing sort of the nature of what it was uh, to something else. Now, I did get a hold of a, uh, some Disney press release uh, that says, look, Disney Springs is on the horizon. Walt Disney World Resort is a destination rooted in stories from our theme park attractions and our shows to the resort hotels and the water parks. And the, in the coming months, a new story will emerge in a setting just as novel as the scenery, Disney Springs. Rolling out in phases and set for 2016 completion, the gigantic entertainment, dining, and shopping space is undergoing a massive transformation that will nearly double in size and include many new retail shops and restaurants. Disney Springs will be built with a unique story in mind, said Theron Skies, Executive Creative Director of Walt Disney Imagineering. It will be a place that's experiential, immersive, and even offers a nod to Walt Disney's legacy. What we want to create is a story on a historic timeline and tell that story through the architecture and landscape. The team at Walt Disney Imagineering was inspired by the waterfront towns that grew and flourished in the mid-1800s Florida, a time before Walt Disney himself was born. Coincidentally, Walt and Roy O. Disney's mom and dad were married in Akron, Florida in 1888. The reimagined Disney Springs will include four neighborhoods, each with timeless charm, Nestled near a natural water spring, the area will have its own backstory. The landing looks as though it was settled at the turn of the century. It rests along the waterfront and is filled with inspired dining and scenic views, Theron explained. Then there's the town center, highlighted by Spanish revival architecture, still found in several Florida seaside towns today. This neighborhood will host retail shops and beautiful tree-lined streets. Think of it as a blend of classic meets contemporary, or what Theron likes to call rough luxe, the luxe for luxury. It's going to be an elegant and stylish. Next is the Marketplace, a neighborhood that springs up during the 1940s in the Disney Springs timeline. It has a pedestrian-friendly walkway 
that stretches over the water and will be home to the World of Disney store and other Disney shops. The last neighborhood, the West Side, emerges in the mid-1950s in Disney Springs history, but transforms through the decades. Mid-century warehouses are refreshed into a variety of dining and entertainment venues, like Splitsville Luxury Lanes, for example, with a contemporary look. To top it off, Disney Springs will even have a signature water tower, two parking garages, and spaces to relax and enjoy the views. There will be something for everyone in the family, Theron said. We want our guests, including our pass holders, to experience retail, dining, and entertainment experience that's second to none. Theron is delighted that some of the new tenants are even thinking about how their stores might play into the vivid, charming uh, storyline of the Disney Springs. Look for more details to come on the retail shops and restaurants making their home in Disney Springs. Some of them will be making their debut in this region of the country. And so says the press release. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that we've lost some of the charm of what downtown Disney was, and Disney Springs now becomes something that more people will go to. I get it. It's okay, but it becomes more merchandised and commercialized, and it loses its charm that I think it had as, as the original uh, Disney downtown Disney marketplace. Now, I did a podcast all about the downtown Disney marketplace in, the, in a very early podcast, so if you want to go back and listen to that and hear what downtown Disney was all about, you can go back and check that out. Originally called the Lake Buena Vista Marketplace, it evolved into something that was downtown Disney and really did change a lot over the years. And, you know, when it was Pleasure Island, it was a lot of fun and it definitely drew a crowd. And, you know, Disney really did some things that were very different there that were unexpected at the time. And now I think that continues that it's kind of unexpected. And I, you know, I want to know where it's going to all go and what it's going to do. I'm not sure what it's going to be, honestly, or how successful it's going to be. I guess we'll see, um, and certainly Disney will do its job to keep everybody on property and keep the spend happening at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort area, and um, good for them in that sense, and, you know, as a stockholder, that's a great thing, but you have to wonder where it all ends, you know, what do they do next? And speaking of the uh, Village Marketplace, there was a Festival of the Masters that's happened there for the last almost 20 years now, and it's just artists that come in and basically have an art exhibit. They're juried artists who come in, and they, uh, they're able to show their wares and sell them, and um, Disney canceled this year, primarily because the construction was going on, but didn't quite articulate whether they were going to be back next year. And that's a little um, unnerving, because in a way, the charm of that, of having artists there, you know, who were selling their wares uh, at downtown Disney, was kind of nice. And the artists were, were all, as I said, juried artists. They were all well-respected, had some interesting things, and, you know, it, it worked out pretty well. But now, you know, we don't know if they're going to be coming back. And it's, you know, you just kind of wonder where that's going. If, you know, if they're not going to have that regional local charm anymore, um, if it's all just going to be shops. And now to the meat of this podcast and why I'm putting it out here now. And that's really about Frozen and, and how Frozen has really taken off. Now, in my last podcast, I mentioned that it's like Frozen craziness. There's all kinds of stuff happening. They've got the sing-alongs. They've got uh, Oaken's uh, Funland. There's all kinds of things there. And I love the movie. And I especially love this song. Are both so intense, put them together, it just makes sense. Winter's a good time to stay in and cuddle, but put me in summer and I'll be a happy snowman. When life gets rough, I like to hold on to my dream. Relaxing in the summer sun, just letting off steam. You know, how far does it go? I mean, it's been a tremendous success. There's been um, a lot of articles written about how Disney was unprepared for its success. They didn't think it was going to take off quite the way it did. Um, you know, this multi-billion dollar industry where you were selling DVDs and merchandise was flying off the shelves. You couldn't even keep it in stock. I don't think anybody would have been prepared for that. 
And, you know, I know that they're going to be continuing the uh, sing-alongs at the, uh, at the theater there in uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. Those will go on through at least early part of next year. And now they're thinking about having the Oaken uh, Outpost being continued during the holiday season uh, somewhere in Hollywood Studios. It'll, it'll probably move to a larger venue than the studio it's currently in and actually uh, be something bigger. And they want to have actual snow and you can build a snowman and you can do all kinds of other things while you're there. And I think that's great. But again, it feels like it's just a little bit forced. I'm a little bit of a history buff when it comes to Disney. I like the history of Disney, and I understand that it's going to change over time. That's a given, and I get that, and I'm not trying to counter the fact that they want to grow and change. You know, not everything has to stay the same. When they said they were going to take out the performing acts over at Epcot, the live performances, I kind of scratched my head a little bit because they've been there for a long time, but I get it. That's okay. You want to change the acts, and that's really okay. That's really okay. That doesn't really phase me the same way. As long as you're replacing them with something else, it's equally entertaining for guests to come in the park. And so the idea was to have this experimental prototype community or city of tomorrow. So on the, on the creative side, when you started thinking about Future World, they had some really creative ideas and things they wanted to do. And everything told stories, and it was about storytelling. And over time, it's kind of changed a little bit. I mean, Horizons, one of the greatest storytelling rides of all time, was replaced with Mission Space, which is a thrill ride. And it still tells a story, but not at that same level of detail. It's more of the thrill ride. The World of Motion used to tell the story of cars and then became something that was test track, which was more of a thrill ride. You know, the Wonders of Life was a great idea to talk about the body and the, you know, how the human body works and so forth, but it didn't really, they couldn't figure out what to do with it to change it to make it something else. So now it's currently closed, except for during the Food and Wine Festival when it's going to be partially opened to be the Festival Welcome Center. And let's not forget the way Nemo took over the Living Seas. It doesn't really capture the essence of the oceans and the seas, though you can still see the tank behind, and there are still some interesting exhibits once you get past the Nemo part, but you have to get past it to really get into it and get the essence of it. You know, and other things have changed, and, you know, things have evolved over time, and some of them are some of them for the better, no question. Some are better than they used to be. I mean, for example, putting in Soren over in the, uh, the land pavilion. Now, maybe it does or doesn't fit in the land. I'll, you know, I'll grant you that. I don't know which way that should go on that. But it is in the Land Pavilion, and Soren is a much better attraction than Food Rocks or the uh, Kitchen Cabaret. I love Kitchen Cabaret, don't get me wrong, but Soren is a much better attraction, and I think it better presents something that's very whimsical and kind of tells a story about, you know, the Earth and our, our relationship to it. So in a way, it's a really good thing, and I, I really appreciate that. So there are definitely some positives that come out of it. Now, World Showcase is a little bit different. So there are 11 pavilions nine of which were opening day pavilions. Norway and uh, Morocco were not the original opening day ones. They opened a little bit later. But each of the pavilions, including those two, contains a themed architecture, landscapes, streetscapes, attractions, shops, and restaurants representing the respective countries' culture and cuisine. In an effort to maintain the authenticity that represents these countries, the pavilions are, are primarily staffed by citizens of the respective countries as part of the cultural representative program and uh, the visa agreements that go along with that. Some pavilions also contain themed rides, shows, and live entertainment representative of the respective country. The only pavilion that's directly sponsored by the government is of its respective country is Morocco. The remaining pavilions are primarily sponsored by private companies with affiliations to the representative countries. Pavilions for Russia, Switzerland, Spain, Venezuela, United Arab Emirates, and Israel have occasionally been rumored as potential future pavilions, but have never made it past the planning phases. Now, of course, there was supposed to be a whole African exhibit as well, but that never went beyond the African-themed refreshment shop known as the Outpost. 
And so the intent was to basically recreate what the World's Fair was, where you brought in different countries from around the world and let them let people explore what those countries are all about through the cuisine, the culture, the people, and so forth, and you know, some of the architecture. And that's really what the World Showcase pavilions were all about. And I, I suspect that's probably part of what Walt Disney had in mind when he was thinking about his uh, Epcot Center. Now, certainly the world has gotten smaller with the Internet and with other things. We all are part of a global community now, and we can visit other lands through uh, the Internet, or we can visit there fairly easily uh, via air travel and so forth. So it's not so hard to go visit other lands. And some lands have become sort of this homogenized mix of different things. You go to the place and it looks like any town USA. Um, you can be in parts of Europe and it looks just like it. Um, you can go to South America and some places look like that. And vice versa, there are places in the U.S. that look like Europe and so on. And you can experience that um, by going to these places and you realize how, you know, how we become this sort of global thing. Keeping the countries alive as individual countries may not be as important to the long-term success of Epcot as it was in 1982 when the World Showcase opened, keeping in mind that it's supposed to represent the culture of those countries. So when Mexico changed to the Grand Fiesta Tour starring Donald, Panchito, and Jose Carroca, you know, things changed a little bit, right? It used to be the culture of the um, history of Mexico and, you know, looking back in Mexican lore and kind of getting to the point of, uh, of where we are today with Mexico really did tell a story about um, Mexico's history. And, you know, it changed to be the, the whole Three Caballeros. And, yeah, that's nice, but it really loses that touch. But it does tie it back to Disney, so I guess that's important in a way. And I can see the cases where in other countries, you know, you're putting characters in there and you're having meet and greets. Snow White is in Germany. Um, Aladdin and Jasmine in Morocco. Um, you know, Mary Poppins and Alice in Wonderland are in the United Kingdom. When Epcot first opened... There were no characters to be found in all of Epcot. You could not find a character. They wanted to keep it separate and distinct from the Magic Kingdom and make it a place where people can go and actually look at the future of technology and some of the uh, creative ideas that were going on and also go to this World Showcase sort of uh, World's Fair thing. So you had those two separate parts that were there. And, you know, over time they decided that they'd add characters. Okay, I guess I can live with that. You know, characters coming to the parks, as long as they're not in your face, that's okay. You have the uh, character fun spots where you can go and meet the characters. Most of the character meet and greets used to be kind of inside the pavilions. You'd go inside and they, were, you know, they weren't out in public view on, on display on the streets. That's changed over time. I, the last time I was there, I, I saw Mary, both Mary Poppins and Alice in Wonderland standing right out in front of the UK pavilion. You know, goods and bads, I guess. I really don't know. And how long until other attractions start to take on some of this stuff? So you may have uh, Ratatouille over at France or you, may have, um, or you might have Pinocchio start showing up in Germany. You never know what's going to happen next. So, kind of finalizing that thought, the thing that got me going to create this podcast was the announcement this week that they're going to be closing the Maelstrom ride over at Norway and creating a Frozen-themed attraction instead. Now, this has been rumored literally since the movie came out. The movie takes place essentially in Norway, so it makes sense to have a tie-in there. They put uh, Anna and Elsa in the Norway Pavilion and changed some of the shops just to have them uh, there for a meet-and-greet. And, greet. and the, the line stretched for eight hours, so certainly they had something popular that they could, that they could use. And I appreciate the fact that they're trying to take that popularity and make something greater, and perhaps the attraction will be terrific. But it takes away from what uh, Norway is supposed to be. I mean, it's supposed to be, at least when you look at what, how they managed to put uh, the Three Caballeros into Mexico, at least they're traveling around Mexico, and they're kind of reusing the vistas and kind of reusing the thoughts, so it's, you're still experiencing Mexico to a point. And yes, I know, I'm stretching it just a little bit. It's not quite that, but at least it kind of fits in thematically with that. Yes, Anna and Elsa and the Frozen theme fits in with Norway. I get that. 
but you're still you're taking away from the story of Norway and what Norway is and what it's all about. And instead of talking about Vikings and the, the rich culture of, of the uh, Norwegian spirit, two cartoon characters that Disney created. You know, they're not, they're not long-standing historic cartoon characters. They're new ones. And that's not to say they're not successful and they won't have staying power, because I'm sure that they will. And Disney does own them, so unlike Avatar Land, it's not like they have a licensing agreement. They could just do whatever they want and create them and put them in there. I feel like, you know, Epcot is kind of losing its way a little bit, and it's changing, and, you know, that's okay. Maybe it needs to be renamed to something else. Maybe it's not Epcot anymore. Maybe Epcot becomes the subtitle of the name, and it becomes something else that has a different theme park association to it, right? So you can, you know, kind of integrate it into the, to the idea of a theme park just a little bit more. Instead of being World Showcase and, and Future World, maybe it's something else, right? Maybe it, maybe it should become something else, and it keeps the Epcot name as sort of the sub, subtitle name. And it just bothered me when I heard that they were changing the uh, the Maelstrom ride. I love the Maelstrom ride. I think it's I think it's pretty cool the way it is. And yes, I know it's dated. I get that. And especially the film at the end. The film at the end, you know, that's like late 1970s kitschiest thing ever. But it's, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I can understand changing that film, certainly. But, you know, everything else is kind of like, where, you know, what are they doing? What, how are they going to tell the story in that same space of Anna and Elsa? Right? What do you do to it? I mean, you know, it's it's a six minute ride that kind of goes through, and so in the attraction, you're seeing the, you're talking about the Vikings, the polar bears, the trolls, and then you're seeing the uh, chilling windswept North Sea as you uh, as you think about the uh, oil expeditions that are out there, and you have all of those things, and that's really what this whole ride is all about. How do you overlay in something that tells the story? I mean, I I guess the trolls fit with the rock trolls in Anna and Elsa, and you could do, you know, certainly with the polar bears and some of that stuff, you could make that all frozen themed and. You know, it, that's fine. It just kind of troubles me a little bit that that continues to evolve and change. Well, anyway, the uh, the ride is scheduled to close on October the 5th, with the ri- last ride being that day. And uh, they won't uh, reopen it until 2016 with the Anna and Elsa Frozen-themed attraction. So we'll probably hear a lot more about it between now and then. But until then, there's really not what we, much we can do, except for to play the audio from the original Maelstrom attraction. You are not the first to pass this way. Nor shall you be the last. Those who seek the spirit of Norway face peril and adventure. But more often find beauty and charm.
this land's heart and soul, to discover its spirit, Norway. To discover its spirit. It was born in challenge, in a thousand years of challenging the seas. spirit that knows a quiet sense of timelessness. Spirit lives in daring. It lives in our traditions. And there you go. That's my podcast for this week. I know, maybe slightly more negative than typically I go, but I really wanted to present a point of view. A lot of people are just topping up and down and going, wow, this is great, Anna and Elsa and more Frozen stuff, and that's fantastic. And, you know, Disney Springs, that's great, and Avatar Land, and that's great. And I'm of a different opinion. I don't think it's all great. I think it's good. 
I think it's good for the bottom line. What's happening is then the price point keeps going up and things keep changing and evolving and it's not the same fun place that it was before. Yes, it's still the vacation capital and people still love going there, but it doesn't have that same sort of feel to it that it had all the way through my lifetime. So, but that's my take on it. And I just wanted to present a different point of view than most people will give you. And I would like to quote from Deb Willis over at uh, allears.net. I think she summed it up well. For me, the World Showcase is all about learning and experiencing individual countries, their art, architecture, and culture. It's about seeing and understanding more about the countries one may never get to visit in person. Even with a movie that desperately needed and should have been updated years ago, the Norway experience in Epcot provided a glimpse into the history and culture of the people in their country. Time will tell how much of this history and culture of Norway will remain in Epcot. Well, that is my show for this week, and I hope you've enjoyed my take on what's happening at the Walt Disney World Resort. So given that I've been a little bit more negative today, I do promise that on my next podcast I will present it, be presenting the next part in the series, what was Flight to the Moon, Mission to Mars, and now becomes uh, the extraterrestrial alien encounter. And I think you'll enjoy that description of uh, kind of how we got to there. So that's what I'll do next, uh, next time out, and I hope you enjoy that as well. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Now, please exit the moving podcast. The walkway is moving at the same speed as your podcast. Kindly take small children by the hand and watch your head and step. If you have questions, thoughts, or would just like to ask Dave a question, please send an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. You can always find Dave's Disney View on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Show notes for this podcast can be found on disneyworldpodcast.net. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound A Music. You'll find a link to the latest Disney-related autism awareness event on the show notes page. We also encourage you to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There are a couple of Disney-related apps, including a Hidden Mickey's app and a pin trading app.